This summer, don't just watch soccer. Play in the DraftKings Real Shot Challenge presented by Jägermeister. The rules of the game are simple. Just pick winners. At the end of the tournament, the five top point getters in each nation's leaderboard walk home with a national team jersey and a Jägermeister jacket. All entries are automatically entered into an overall leaderboard where the prizes are even more lucrative, like the ultimate fan experience, an all-expenses-paid trip to the winning team's country to celebrate sweet, sweet victory like a local. Enjoy a VIP soccer experience, including game tickets, transportation, and swag, plus extra cash so you can roll like a meister. You don't need cash to enter. It's free. So what are you waiting for? Head to DraftKings.com slash RealShot to adopt your team, get in the game, and win exclusive prizes. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash RealShot for details. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Brian Strauss and I will be coming to you every day from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by interview guest Andrei Arshavin, the best-known Russian player of the past decade, who tells some great stories about Euro 2008 glory, scoring four times at Liverpool for Arsenal, and his thoughts on Russia's chances in the tournament. Onward! Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. We are here in Moscow, Russia, and Brian Strauss and I are in the the same room right now, Brian, which is kind of crazy. You just arrived literally today. I did. I've been here for, I think this is my fifth day, so thanks for answering the bell and, and making it to the recording of this podcast. How are you doing? Um, for those listeners who um, struggle a bit when I get incoherent or giggly, uh, it's going to be a rough ride <laughs> for the next 20, 30 minutes or so. Um, I'm a I'm a drooling puddle of gelatinous goo, Grant. Um, but you're here. I, but I'm here. I am physically present. Um I have there's my three dimensional body is is sitting in this room and holding a microphone and let's see what happens. And by the way, you're wearing a Washington Capitals t shirt and I, I should am. call it the NHL champion Washington Capitals. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah I've just been uh I, I, I've been kinda over the moon about it. Um it did it did, I must admit, and I hope our bosses aren't listening, it did impinge on my um preparation for this trip just a little bit. Um and so I've been wearing the shirt now for a solid probably fifty hours. And uh, no, no, nothing. I was hoping for some, you know, I don't mean like like bear hugs. And I guess like in this country, that could mean a few different things. I probably shouldn't have said that. I thought but, there would be some Ovechkin fans here. No who one has said a word to, to me. No one has said a word to me. And I've been I've been walking around all day uh, in this uh, on the plane, walking around Moscow in this in this cap shirt. Um, and I'll wear it till it falls off. My my credential photo. I also I look like Ovechkin right now in that I am I haven't shaven in a long time. Um, I look really really sweaty and disoriented, and I'm wearing a red capital shirt, and so that's my credential photo. Awesome. I didn't think about that before I sort of rolled in and got my credential today. So I look like uh, you know Ovechkin after he did the the Stanley Cup keg stand in my credential photo. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe he'll be here. Maybe he'll roll. Maybe, maybe, maybe him and Kuznetsov and Orlov will bring the cup to Moscow while we're here. That would be uh, that would be cool. It is it is strange that I know I talk about hockey a lot, 
but you have to understand like like soccer is by far my favorite sport obviously i grew up playing it coached it now i write about it but the caps are my favorite team because i you know you, you and i are similar age i mean we grew up um you know after the nasl but before mls and there was no soccer team to cheer for when i was a kid and so the caps it was like ice soccer so that became my team so i'm very excited so uh let's talk about the world cup the World Cup is here, man, and we're in Russia together. It's our first time in Russia. It's crazy. And uh, first impressions. What, um, what are your first impressions of this place? Yeah, you literally landed here like a couple really, hours I'm ago. I'm really freaking tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is like a lot of times, like a lot of World Cups, you kind of see the place where the World Cup is through the window of whatever vehicle you're traveling in. You know, so, so right. far I've seen a bit of Moscow through some ubers uber surprising the coverage here is pretty good I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of fired up about that um through a couple subway windows the city is astonishing the city is it's gigantic yeah and and it's and and monumental buildings i mean just just um there's the university that's across the if you if you if you google if you're listening and you google luzhniki stadium which is where the opener and the final is across the river from luzhniki it's Moscow University, Moscow State University, right? And it's just a jaw-dropping building. Um, and then there are multiple sort of iterations of that building, of that style sprinkled throughout the city. And then, of course, along with the Kremlin, where you, you, you sort of can't miss it as you drive around. This place is King's Landing on steroids. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And, of course, you kind of want to get out and, like, you know, run around and take pictures of it and, you know, rub it. But, um, uh, you know. I was Ubering to go get my credentials and, and, and all that kind of stuff today. So hopefully over the course of the next month, at some point, I'll be able to get out and take a picture. Um, well, but, we're, both, uh, we're both staying near in hotels awesome. near Red Square. Not far, yeah. Um, the opposite and, sides of Red Square, kind of. And uh, so that means St. Basil's Cathedral, the Onion I Dome. haven't seen that. It's it's close by here. Yeah. So you can walk from here and see it. That's where the Fox Studio will be. I'll be working there during the tournament as well. Uh it's rumor, beautiful. Rumor has it that you did a little you did a little uh song and dance number this morning. I'm putting you on the spot now totally. About what? With Fernando? Oh, how do you know about that? It's I'm a reporter. Sources. Yeah. So, uh Fox Sports, uh which is going to be your official broadcaster in English in the United States for the World Cup. I uh, had a, a media event today, which is always funny for me because I end up like nobody, no, none of the writers want to actually talk to me, which is fine for like a story because I get it. They're like my friends and it feels weird. So I just talk to guys and catch up and, but they introduced all of the Fox sports talent and the hosts for world cup shows and Fernando I saw, Fiore. I saw Goose Hiddink in the lobby just now. He's working for Fox. Yeah, I have some pretty, good Gus Hiddink cool. stories that I Is I it Gus share. or Goose? It's actually, I, I wondered, it's Gus. Everyone calls him Gus. Gus, um, word. But um, really nice man. Obviously uh, a, a star here in Russia where he was the national team coach, took them to the semis of Euro 2008. Everywhere we go with Gus Hiddink here in Moscow, people want pictures with him. Uh, and he's uh, pretty cool about it. That's how I feel when I walk around with you. Um, but anyway, you brought up this thing. You brought this up, so I'm going to tell you the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Fernando Fiore, who's hosting World Cup tonight on Fox every night, literally every night during the World Cup, uh I wasn't ready for this. He asked me to come up with him uh, on stage in front of everybody. And we have this bet because he saw that in Sports Illustrated, I have Argentina, his country, not advancing out of the group stage. And 
So the bet is that if Argentina does advance out of the group stage, I will have to wear a blue and white wig on TV uh, that he will apparently supply. He travels around with these things. Um, is carrot top? Uh, and a trunk if, of stupid props. And if Argentina does not advance from the group stage, from the group stage, per my prediction, Fernando will have to wear a Croatia tie that he has signed by Davor Shuker. Oh, that's 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 not that's he should have to shave his head. I, I was thinking either shave head or <laughs> shave really or shave mustache since yeah. his mustache is that's, sort of part of true. his that's, that's calling the look. card. That's the iconic thing. Um, but yeah, so I was not planning for that to happen, but it was fun. Um, and. So that's part of what I've been doing. But also every morning, except for this one, when we were doing that, I've been going on runs around uh, the area here. And it's a beautiful sort of central area here of Moscow down by the river with uh, all the buildings and everything. So uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Moscow, do it. It's uh, combine it probably with St. Petersburg. Well, that's going to that's going to end. Right. I mean, we're we're going to we're going to get started really, really fast here. I mean, I, I wish I had a few days to get acclimated um but you know starting tomorrow with the congress today was well today i went and got my credentials um by the way um best media perk ever at this world cup phenomenal media perk so this is my third world cup that i'll be covering um and and now obviously we don't do this for the perks right i mean there are rarely perks at south africa i don't think i don't think there i think maybe i got a chintzy like plastic iPhone case like not one you'd ever actually use in South Africa so what do you get here and then in Brazil in Brazil the perks were do you, the desk lamps do you remember the desk lamps what at the media desk and, and, the and in the stadium like there were the, there were the, half of the Brazilian World Cup budget went toward desk lamps yeah do you remember this not necessary Every six inches, there was a damn space. desk lamp right and then here the media oh and that and the other perk in brazil was uh, credit card fraud and then <laughs> everyone got some credit card fraud and then the perk here they give you along with your tournament credential like a metro card good for the entire tournament yeah. that's really 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 cool yeah like so i will be taking the the moscow metro it doesn't work in other cities obviously but um and i'm going to be in at least one other city um but you'll have to stay tuned and uh uh but yeah i will be i will be taking the metro in russia in moscow courtesy of uh, of uncle vlad the metro here is awesome actually compared to like new york and i presume washington um it's uh relatively clean uh it's got like museum piece type things in it uh it's pretty cool though interestingly the fox sports security team says we can't take the metro which seems a little weird why um, are you gonna are you gonna ignore them and take the metro? Um, I'm actually not needing to take it anywhere. So well, that's yet, true. So. You're just walking to and from the set. Yeah. So yeah, but the, uh, it, the it, it is vast and it is it you know it's like New York for example. Like yes, of course it's better than D. The Pony Express is better than the DC Metro. Um, but like today I got on a, a line that forked right. So and I didn't know and I wound up being on the train that forked left when I wanted to fork right. So you've got to backtrack and. Um, when I went to Luzhniki to get my credential, I got off on the wrong stop. So I wound up, you know, walking half a mile or three quarters of a mile to get back to where I should have been. But, but yeah, it's, it's super safe. It's cool. And it, and it, it works well, but it's definitely sort of, sort of, uh, 
it's old, but in like a cool, quaint, historic sort of living museum kind of way. And, and it was really neat. A lot of them have very deep staircases to get to. Holy and shit, that's because yes. they were supposed to double as bomb shelters yep. during the Cold one War. One of the steepest. Uh, yeah. I one of the longest staircases I've ever been on. Escalators. But so we're going to be doing this podcast literally every day. With more substance, hopefully less drooling uh, um, as the tournament starts. We're excited for at least a few of you to join us every day as we experience and talk about the World Cup. Now, obviously no soccer until Thursday. That's going to be Russia, Saudi Arabia, the big showdown between the two worst teams in this tournament. Uh, but there's another big day coming on Wednesday for the United States in particular, since the U.S. is not involved in this World Cup on the field. We're going to find out if the United bid of the U.S., Mexico, and Canada either beats or lose, beats or loses to Morocco on Wednesday. And is, none of, is none of the above still technically a, oh, yeah. an option? Though everybody I talk to here says not likely at all. I mean, who would do that? Who would? Because then, we, then we've got to go through this whole stupid thing again. Right. If you vote for none of the above, you're essentially saying, "I haven't had enough World Cup bidding politics. Right. I want more World Cup bidding politics." It should be a close vote, though, from what I'm hearing between the United bid from North America and Morocco. And the fact that it could be a close vote is kind of crazy if you're looking at sort of rational thought. Like, I, I'm not standing for the U.S. here. I'm just saying that based on the proposals and not wanting to waste $16 billion on all new stadiums and infrastructure in Morocco that won't get used afterward, it seems to make sense facility-wise to come to North America. Um, I saw a Morocco uh, bid billboard on the way in from Sheremetyevo Airport this morning, and I'm sure I apologize to our, our... throng of Russian listeners for I watched I watched Russian movies on the plane why to prepare myself I watched one movie about Nikolai Gogol being a being like a Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter type dude <laughs> and then I watched a movie about some medieval knight who who killed the Mongol horde um, so it was pretty pretty exciting and it got me fired up to defend the fatherland um, I, we've talked about it before. I mean, you know, there there are there are a few reasons a, a, an individual nation might vote for Morocco. Right? One is not necessarily voting for Morocco, but voting against the United bid, read the United States, right? Yeah. For whatever political or right. or moral or social reason. Um, another is the fact that if you are a uh, if you're a country that cares about relationships with broadcasters uh, and you are in Europe or Africa or Asia, you might rather have the World Cup played at a more convenient time than it would be if it was in the U.S. where games in the evening, if you if you remember in 94, games were played at, you know, time suitable for the European market. And I can't imagine that would be the case again, right? They're not going to be playing games in June and July at, at, at 1 p.m. I remember noon Eastern kickoffs in Orlando, insane. and it was yeah. like insane temperature and humidity. Um, and then the third reason is really cynical, but true, um, which is that Morocco needs to build $16 billion worth of infrastructure, and there are companies that are going to get those contracts. Which brings us to France, whose federation has already come out, their federation president, and said, not only are we going to support Morocco— Presumably, people think because of several of the reasons you just mentioned, but also because 
French banks, yep. French construction companies stand to make crazy money from $16 billion of infrastructure building. But also the French president today said, I'm going to lobby as many of you as I can in UEFA to vote for Morocco. And think about this. The French killed the U.S. bid for 2022 when Michel Platini, Platini voted for Qatar, switched yeah. from the U.S. to Qatar and brought at least two or three or four votes on that executive committee with him, which sw swung the election uh, in 2010, which caused Qatar to upset the U.S. Here are the French again. Uh, if the, if the, the U.S.-led bid does lose, uh, that would be one of the main reasons. And so how, but so how does France lobby other countries around UEFA or other countries they have relationships with to vote for a bid that will get French, the French government and French industry and French contractors like sweetheart deals in Morocco? I yeah, guess. who knows? I mean, I don't know. I mean, then you start talking about things that look shady. You start talking about subcontracts and kickbacks and things like that. Um, you know, I brought this up a few times, you know, however, however you feel about Sunil Gulati, he was right. This is an election. This is an election and people vote in elections for myriad reasons, often uh, that, that don't follow any sort of, um, you know, logical or, or framework or even self-interest. Um, so Carlos Cordero and his counterparts at, at the FMF and, and Canadian Soccer Association and Infantino, who obviously wants this World Cup in North America, they're going to have to convince the voters that the revenue difference um, by having the World Cup in the U.S., Canada, Mexico um, is worth their while. Yeah. Right. And, and that's and, what it's going to come down to. And maybe you, we, you, will make, you will have more money in your pockets if we host the World Cup in North America. That's, that's all it is. I've had so many people here in Moscow ask me, what are the percentage chances that the USA-led bid wins? And I'm like, nobody knows. You know, like... I'm not asking literally every country. I've, certainly some countries have come out and announced some things that you can't ever really know until the vote takes place. The New York Times has a tracker uh, of countries that have announced one way or the other. Um, but I sort of put it at 65% chance that the USA-led bid that seems reasonable. Yeah. wins. But yeah. I also would have given an even higher number on the day back in 2010 when I was in Zurich when Qatar beat the US bid. So... Take it for what you will. Is this um, going to be the most boring thing I've ever covered in my? Well, actually, it's FIFA politics. MLS drafts are pretty are pretty tough. I mean, if you follow college soccer, if you're like right. Travis Clark or one of those dudes, the MLS draft is like you know candy store. But yeah, that's that that's a that's a tough that's a tough haul. But this will be pretty boring tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, based on my experience covering these types, do of they events. and 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 it's it's secret? Is it secret ballot? It's, it is not a secret not, ballot. Each but are they but are they announced? But are they announced? Real time and Dora votes for, and then it'll be an electronic vote uh -huh. that will register on the screen in front of everybody who's there, mm -hmm. just the numbers, and then later uh, the individual country by country votes will be publicized. But I found interesting from talking so to Cordero like the, FIFA, the other day. It'll be like the FIFA Player of the Year, where we find out like that the head coach of the Thai yeah. women's national team voted Mia Hamm Player of the Year twenty years after she stopped playing. Correct. Yeah. But what I would say also is this came up in, in when we spoke to Carlos Cordero a couple of days ago, which is that uh, he thought that it actually might hurt the U.S. to an extent because in Africa, for example, if you're an African country that chooses to buck oh, the like block vote yeah. and vote for the U.S. because it's being publicized, you might not do it. He thinks actually if this were a secret ballot that more votes from Africa to the U.S.-led bid might actually come in. 
And why would an African team vote for the U.S.? For the revenue reasons I mentioned earlier or something else? I think there's some political stuff here, too, because I think South Africa's turned around and decided to vote for uh, the U.S.-led bid, Liberia. It's not that many countries, mostly English-speaking African countries. And and Africa is kind of an odd construct, right? Because North Africa is is very different in every way than from Sub-Saharan Africa, right? So maybe they don't don't feel certain sorts of kinship economic culturally socially ethnically etc so when it comes down to it this is either going to be a big day for u.s soccer and you'll now be able to point eight years ahead and prepare for another world cup in the united states 60 of the 80 games would be in the united states and every game from the quarterfinals on or if the u.s led bid loses this will be yet another giant kick in the teeth for U.S. soccer after failing to qualify for the World Cup here, and that would be pretty massive. So how does this? So you mentioned Cordero. So I guess he, you were here. I was, I wasn't here yet, but he did a sort of a roundtable, right, with yeah. some of the guys who who, who came already. Um, you know, he inherited this bid. Obviously, I mean, this was well in in motion before um, before he won the election. Um, but at the same time. You know, it's weird to say he's put every egg in this basket because no matter what happens tomorrow, he still has three and a half years left on his term. Um, but, you you know, he's put everything into this. And there are people in other parts of American soccer, the other, constitu- other constituencies, God, I'm so jet-lagged, I can't even speak, um, who are really frustrated by the fact that Cordero hasn't sort of started listening to them and paid attention to them because he's, how many countries did he say he's been to? Didn't he throw out a number? Like he didn't throw out a number. He said that he's spoken to the the bid itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the presidents, the three presidents, have spoken to 150 or okay. so. I mean, I will say that I, I have checked countries. in. I have checked in with with U.S. soccer every few days um, for the past month or so, um, working on a couple things, and they are in a different country every single time. I get a text back. It's, no, Cordero it's, it's has spent like one day in the U.S. in the last like. I don't know if it's like eight weeks, so, 10 weeks. So not a compliment or a criticism, but but just a point that he clearly has put every, since since the day he won that election in Orlando, he's put everything into this. So to what extent does failure or success tomorrow sort of reflect on him and his mandate and the, and the rest of his term? Um, I'm sort of asking rhetorically. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know either. I think it would be a, a, a massive loss if... Uh, this bid doesn't get it, but but does it undermine his 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 term? I mean, is it so devastating? Is it such a maybe? I, I mean, like it's it's kind of hard to know. I mean, what I would say is that it's sort of fascinating to me from a personality perspective. Here, the the idea of a, a shared World Cup twenty six was the baby of Sunil Gulati, who never expected to not be the U.S. Soccer president at this point in time, and. Gulati is still on the FIFA Council, the board of FIFA, through 20, I don't know, 2021, like three more years. And yet it's almost as if he's been totally marginalized from this to the point where when U.S. Soccer had Cordero speaking to media here a couple nights ago, Gulati was nowhere to be found. U.S. Soccer is not putting Sunil Gulati out there anywhere. And yet this was his idea. He was the sole leader of the bid for a long time. And then that was yanked away so that... It would be a three-person head of the Federation presidents of not just the U.S., but Mexico and Canada, which I think was a smart thing to do because— There was, there was skepticism about how united this bid really was and whether the, right. 
Canadian and Mexican participation was just kind of the window dressing and it wasn't really substantive. So. The feeling was was that a, basically a U.S.-only bid was not going to win. Uh, and so that's why Mexico and Canada have been brought on and now it looks kind of smart. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, we have a couple more things to talk about before we sign off here. Andre Arshavin, by the way, is going to be coming on uh, as an interview here in the latter part of the podcast. We talk about Russia. He's not currently in the room. He is not. That I, that I can see. True. Um, your room, your room. first of all, your room has some lovely artwork. Um, and second, one of the walls is entirely slanty. It's very funhousey. I feel like I'm in a Swiss chalet here on this. Uh, I think it's the sixth floor of my hotel. Um, but it's not the biggest room, but it's by far the best room I've ever had at a World Cup. Like, and I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gorgeous. It's um, nice. We but, stayed we stayed in some funky places in Brazil. Yeah, much yeah. less funky here. Yeah. Um, but uh, a couple of stories I'll share about Russia here because everyone is excited for Russia's first game uh, and nervous, I think, that they're the home team, like Russians, that the home team won't advance from the group. But Valerie Karpin, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, former Russian player, uh, appeared at Moscow State University yesterday in front of a bunch of students. I talked to a person who was there and when this panel was asked who's going to win the world cup, he said, Russia. And it's been arranged. And, <laughs> and the students, and they threw beats but, at him. But here's the fight. The students, they're all laughed when he said this and he was actually joking too. And so there's a lot of uh, pessimism, I think about this Russian team right now. Well, that sounds that, but that sounds almost like just kind of goofy self-deprecation in a way, you know? I think I it mean, was, yeah. but uh, but it was amusing nonetheless. Well, and and it, and I wonder, you know, they they've obviously had, um, you know, what seven years, right? I mean, this was the December of 2010 that this was announced, so they've right. had seven years to kind of build up. I mean, uh, you know, guys who were you know, 16, 17 years old back then, fifteen years old back then, or you know, the core of their national team. Um, it also makes me wonder what Qatar will have uh, on the field in four years, whether whether they can wrangle, um, you know, marry off enough Brazilians to Qatari women to get them citizenship to field a competitive national team. Um, oh, I'm going to get some hate mail for that. I'm sorry. Jet lag, jet lag. Um, you look, they, 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 got in a, they got in a cake group, right? And so it's, it's there for them um, as much as we... Uh, laud Mo Salah justifiably and rightly. Um, you know there are questions about the team that's surrounding him. Um, this is not a team that's been. You know, who knows what kind of stage fright or, um, you know, sort of big game nerves Egypt will feel playing in the World Cup for the first time in so long. They've had themselves a little media distraction this week. We'll see how they handle that. Um, a World Cup's always more fun when. Um, the host team does well, you know, I mean, one of my, uh, best memories of South Africa was just, I mean, yeah, I mean, Vuvuzelas are excruciating and they're the worst, they're the worst, but there was still something kind of cool about hearing them around the city when the team was playing, hearing them outside the hotels, hearing them in the streets. There was something about that sound just for those few weeks, um, that fit. Um, and I never want to hear it again, but it was cool. And then of course, what even better was, uh, there were a few nights in Brazil. I went to, I think I went to only one game, one Brazil game in Brazil, maybe two. 
But other times, like I was in the hotel working or watching on TV and Brazil would score. When we were at the U.S., we were at U.S. training when they were playing Chile in the round of 16, I think, right? And went to penalties. Yeah. And each time Brazil would score a penalty, you would hear fireworks and God knows what else going off around you in sort of the, you know, the concrete jungle, the high rises around you in Sao Paulo. Sort of a real time the city announcing real time how the team was doing. And that was spectacular. And I don't know what the analogy here will be, um, but I hope it's something because that's really that's a really neat part about being in a World Cup. Yeah, I agree. Today, by the way, Tuesday is Russia Day. So I'm told that there might actually be fireworks here tonight. Uh, you will be probably sleeping by then uh, in an attempt to catch yeah, I'm gonna, up I'm a little gonna be, bit. I'm going to be passed out on the sidewalk. <laughs> There's but, no question about it. Everyone who's listening out there, let's give Brian Strauss a round of applause for answering the bell and coming here just a couple hours to after landing to record this podcast. Let's uh, wrap it up now. We'll be back every day of this tournament. Uh, the interview section comes next with Andre Arshavin. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Our guest today is the best-known Russian soccer player of the past decade. Andrei Arshavin led Russia to the Euro 2008 semifinals and played for Arsenal and Zenit St. Petersburg in a terrific club career, among others. Andrei, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrei, we're here at a Nike event in Gorky Park with you and Brazilian Ronaldo. Uh, the World Cup is starting in your country. What does it feel like for you to see the World Cup happening in Russia? I still can't believe because you know I never when I was young you know I never thought uh, it could happen in my country you know because uh, always uh, when I was young I thought it's happened somewhere else you know not it can happen uh, just you know next next door. Uh, the first game of the tournament is Russia Saudi Arabia. The Russian team has some questions about it. What do you think are the most important things that Russia needs to do to beat Saudi Arabia? I think uh, to beat Saudi Arabia, we only have to show the our level, my opinion. I, I don't think that Saudi Arabia is a very strong team, my opinion. But I did not see them a lot, you know. I just heard uh, apparently they play not bad, apparently. Against Germany, I guess they played okay. And also against Italy, I think. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's uh, very important to, to make good start, and I think everyone uh, understands this in uh, our team. Um, who do you think, in your opinion, are the most important Russian players in this tournament, and why? My opinion, uh, it's going to be Galavin and Smolov because uh, Smolov because he scores a lot of goals, at least in Russian league, and also he's able to score in uh, high level. And also Golovin, he's uh, created. Uh, he is a player who can create a lot, a lot of opportunities for other players. Also, he can also shoot from long distance. And you know, basically the games uh, created uh, around him. Mm -hmm. And also uh, a lot of depends on. Uh, I can fave because he's our best keeper. I don't. Know, he's been our best player for last 10 years, maybe more. That's it. I, I remember Akinfeya from your 2008 Euro team that got to the semifinals, which yes. was a, a fantastic, fun team to watch. What is, what is your favorite memory of that tournament? 
It's difficult to say, you know, because it's difficult to describe the feeling uh, uh, we feel, we were feeling uh, while the World Cup, you know, because also nobody believed in us, but uh, we started to play well, you know, and enjoy every training, every seconds uh, while, I don't know, dinner, lunch, uh, to stay together. And uh, as long as we uh, went uh, through, you know, we are getting even stronger, we are feeling uh, they are getting stronger and stronger. And unfortunately, in semi-final we played against, uh, I don't know, incredible Spain, you know. Yeah. I, I'm working with Gus Hiddink uh, for USA Television in this tournament and I've gotten to know him a little bit. What was so special about him as a coach on of that team? You know, uh, when he took the national team, uh, he tried to, uh, to change our mind, you know. Uh, I remember one, uh, there was one, one of the first meeting and he said, hey guys, you are best player I have ever uh, had before, you know. And uh, I'm sure nobody believed in that. <laughs> but as uh, long as we start to work together, you know, he, give, he gave us uh, freedom, you know. We could uh, do whatever we want uh, a part of a football pitch, you know. And uh, we could, I don't know, eat whatever we want. He gives uh, uh, the players freedom, which uh, most of the players uh, never seen before, except uh, Zenit players, because we worked with European coach uh, before mm-hmm. the kidding. I would say this uh, was one of the main things he brought in the team. So, in your opinion, what happened, I guess, between 2008 to the Russian national team and the Russian national team today? It, it's not quite at the level that it was before. You know, it's difficult to, uh, to say and to estimate this. Everyone now says, you know, the team is uh, much worse than we were in 2008. Uh, uh, generation is not uh, like Vivio, but you know, as as I answered in previous question, even in 2008, no, nobody believed in us. And you know, in two weeks, uh, we will qualify, and you will see in the street, everyone will say, "Hey, now it's the best team, best player." Shavin was uh, fucking shit, and something <laughs> like this, you know. And now we have uh, like proper one. And everything changes for one second in football. For one goal, changed everything. History, I don't know the судьбу, судьба, как сказать. Destiny. Yeah. Destiny. They change destiny for everyone, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, so you're predicting that Russia will advance from the I group? I hope so, you know. And our, this is for sure. They okay. must do it. Okay. Um, just a couple more questions here. I, I really appreciate it. Um in 2009, you famously scored four goals for Arsenal at Liverpool in yes. a classic 4-4 game, and you held up four fingers after the fourth. What do you remember the most about that game? When, you know, straight after each third, fourth goals, I could not believe it, uh, it could happen with me, you know, <laughs> because uh, I, all, I don't know, people who were born in the Soviet Union could not believe even they can go abroad, you know. And here now at Anfield, you know, he's one of a historical stadium even in England, you know, and the Russian small guy scored four goals. Uh, I could not believe it. It was my feeling after the goals. After the game, I can't see, you know, I felt something uh, special. Or I just went home, you know, I was uh, just enjoying my family and nothing, sp- nothing happened spe- special after the day, next day after the game. Only, you know, I was... Uh, 
obviously I was on the main, main channel, you know, main, main programs, you know, which is normally says in politics about politics, and instead of that, we just showed this for goals. The only different was uh, that. When people take their picture with you, do they often hold up the four fingers? Unfortunately, yes. You know, now I remember uh, only like a person who scored four goals in England. <laughs> You're still playing these days yeah. in, in Kazakhstan for the club. It's incredible, also. <laughs> Do you still love the sport? Do you love to play the sport? No, I always, uh, while my career, I always uh, loved football, loved to play, just just loved to play. Uh, I was lucky that uh, this has uh, helped me earn money also, you know. Sure. That's why I'm a I'm happy man, I can say about myself, yes, which I can earn money, which I love to do. Andrea Shavin, thanks so much for speaking to me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Andre Arshavin as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.